The uh, section of the creed that we're looking at uh, this afternoon is For our sake he was crucified unto Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the bit I particularly want to focus is on, is on the, the death of Christ. He suffered death and was buried for our sake. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. For us and for our salvation, he suffered death and was buried and rose again. Rose again as a kind of great confirmation of this sacrifice that he's made. And I want to focus on that that theme of sacrifice, one of the key ways in which the Bible understands the death of Christ, and particularly how the death of Christ can be for us. Notice how the Creed says that he died for us. He suffered death and was buried for us. For our sake, he was crucified. One of the key ways that the Bible explains that is through this this idea of sacrifice. And so that's what I want to focus our attention on this afternoon. But before I do that, let me pray. Father, we pray that as uh, as we gather now around your word, as we look at what your word says, that you would speak to us uh, through your Holy Spirit. And we pray particularly that you would show us the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our eyes, we pray, to see the glory and to see the glory of his death and to see how it is a death for us and how that changes everything. Uh, We pray that you would uh, uh, speak to us uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1984, Pete Cutters in Cheshire found the remains of a man in a bog. Uh, It turns out he was uh, over 2,000 years old. He had been strangled, hit on the head, and his throat had been cut. And so they're almost certain that it was uh, a, a sacrifice, that some kind of ritual sacrifice had been offered. That's not too far from here, is it? 2,000 years ago, people were sacrificing other human beings. And I don't know whether it's ever occurred to you, but the practice of sacrifice is, is kind of everywhere within human culture. It's not as if it's just a kind of European thing. Wherever you look around the world, people have been offering sacrifices. The Israelites, the ancient Israelites, offered sacrifices. That's what this chapter is about. But the Egyptians too sacrificed bulls to the god Apis. The Greeks and the Romans offered sacrifice. There was a Roman cult called the the, uh, Mithras cult and uh, you can go and see temples of it. I was walking Hadrian's Wall last year and there you could go to visit a temple where they offered bulls as sacrifices. In Africa, people sacrificed. The Anglo-Saxons sacrificed cows before they converted to Christianity here in England. And not only have people been sacrificing animals, but whether you're talking about the Scandinavians or the Babylonians, people have been sacrificing human beings. We just talked about this man in the bog, the Celts in, in, here in Britain, and the Romans too, offered sacrifices and they would offer, one of the things they often did was when they were building a, a new building, they would, they would put a human sacrifice in the foundations. The Aztecs sacrificed a human being every day to ensure that the sun would rise. Everywhere you go, 
people have offered animal sacrifices and human sacrifices. Why is that? Why is it so, so prevalent in human culture? All these different places, all these different times. It may be, I, I don't know the answer by the way, but it may be that, that we have, human beings, have some kind of intuitive sense that something must die so that I can live. Or maybe it's an echo, sometimes a very distorted echo, but an echo of an original divine command to the first man and woman. But maybe you think that this kind of stuff just belongs in the past. Or at least, you know, it doesn't belong in modern Britain, not in a kind of civilized, not in the civilized world. People no longer do sacrifices in the civilized world, only backward looking people. Uh, do sacrifices. But again, think how common the language of sacrifice is in our culture. We're marking the 100th anniversary of the uh, outbreak of the First World War. And, And a lot of the language around that is full of the language of sacrifice, about these young men who sacrificed themselves for our freedom. Or if you've just been watching the Commonwealth Games two or three weeks ago, again, you will have heard people talking about the sacrifices that athletes make and often the sacrifices their families make so that they can secure victory. Now, you may not be a medal prospect, but some of you make sacrifices to get a body that you can be proud of. You know, you sacrifice your... And this is the language we use in it. We talk about sacrificing a second helping. Or time in bed so that we can go off to the gym. People make sacrifices. They make sacrifices to get an education or to progress in their career. A friend of mine uh, who's in business was telling, he went to a business seminar and everyone was asked to bring an object that kind of represented their business. And one man brought his wedding ring. And he said, this is what my business has cost me. It's cost me my marriage. He had sacrificed his marriage in order to succeed in business. People are making sacrifices today. People sacrifice their children in the pursuit of success or pleasure or wealth. Your God is the thing or the person that you want most. It's the thing that you can't live without whatever that may be. And so to get it, or to keep it, you make sacrifices. You sacrifice, as it were, to your God. And we're all at it. And here's the thing, it doesn't work. There was an extraordinary interview on the BBC website during the uh, London Olympics with Denise Lewis describing where she, she described how she felt after she'd won gold, Olympic gold. And she described how just within a few hours, that very night, she went back to the Olympic village, to the uh, athlete's village, sat on her bed, and she just felt dis- empty. She just felt distraught. She had kind of lived her whole life for this, with this goal in mind of winning Olympic gold, and now she'd got it... And there was kind of nothing left for her. Her life just felt empty. Or maybe you're trying to cure your guilt. 
And maybe there are people here who pinch themselves or cut themselves or starve themselves. Your past haunts you. Maybe some guilt or failure that you feel very strongly and so you will try to atone. You try to put it right by harming yourself. Pain relieves pain. But only for a moment. Someone was telling me only this last week of of someone, he, he, talking with someone, struggling with depression, who was punching himself in the stomach. Trying to, trying to sort of feel the pain down here instead of feeling it up here. Or maybe you wash yourself again and again, but nothing can cleanse you on the inside. Sacrifices don't work. This is what our passage says. Have a look with me again at verses 1 to 4. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The argument's very simple, isn't it? Just, just a moment's thought shows us that sacrifices never make us perfect. If they did, we would stop offering them. If you think your trips to the gym or your extra hours at work or the cuts on your wrist are solving your problems, then ask yourself this. Can you stop? You're trying to appease your God, as it were, but it can't be done, and it just feels relentless. And then the writer quotes from the Old Testament. Have a look at verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. What he says is, what the writer here says is, that God never wanted sacrifices. Now, I think that's an astonishing claim, isn't it? Because for hundreds of years, hundreds of people had been offering sacrifices thinking they were doing what God wanted. After all, wasn't it God who invented sacrifice? But the point is this, sacrifice was never for God's benefit. It wasn't for God's benefit. After all, what does the God of heaven want with a dead cow? No, the point is that sacrifices were given for our benefit. They were a kind of dramatic visual aid to show us the seriousness of sin and to point us to the solution for sin. God gave us sacrifices to show us, first of all, the seriousness of sin. Verse 3 says, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Now, by sin, I don't just mean, you know, we always have a sort of little list of notorious acts that we label up as sins, but I mean our rejection of God's love and all that flows from that. That attitude that ignores God or replaces God. And how serious is it? Well, it leads to death the squeals of the animals, the blood dripping onto the floor, the smell of burning flesh. 
are all designed to show us the terrible consequences of sin. When you think of the temple in the Old Testament, you mustn't think of a cathedral. You you should think of an abattoir. But God also gave us sacrifices to point to the solution to sin. Just think for a moment with me about how sacrifices work. Whatever kind of sacrifice we're talking about. Sacrifices, when a sacrifice happens, something is lost so that something else might be gained. Something is given up so that something else might be achieved. Something dies so that something else might live. Every, you know, that's the way sacrifices work, doesn't it? In any situation, there is always some kind of replacement or substitution. Well, what happens here is that my sin should lead to my death. But with sacrifice, there's a replacement or a substitution. With an animal sacrifice, I'm kind of symbolically replaced by the animal. A sheep or a cow dies in my place. But animal sacrifices were a picture of Jesus. They were only ever meant to be a picture of Jesus. Look at verse 9. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by first, the writer is referring to the old system of animal sacrifices. By the second, he means the sacrifice of Jesus. With Jesus, with the death of Jesus, symbolism becomes reality. That that, that symbol of animal sacrifice becomes the reality as Jesus dies in my place. And that's not any kind of symbol, that's reality. He took the punishment I deserve so that I am free from the consequences of my sin. See, the reason God doesn't want sacrifices is that God himself gives the sacrifice Jesus the son of God says verse 9 here I am I have come to do your will God himself says here he is, here I am here is the sacrifice, I make the sacrifice and the sacrifice of Jesus works, look at verse 10 I think this is the key verse in the chapter by that will we are made holy We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, if the test of whether a sacrifice really works is whether it has to be repeated, then the sacrifice of Jesus passes the test. The sacrifice of Jesus worked. It was once for all. It never has to be repeated. It will never have to be repeated. The job is done. I want to talk to to three groups of people uh, this evening and and, and maybe you're one of them. Three ways in which, three implications if you like for us as we think about the sacrifice of Jesus. I wonder if first of all there are people here who, who are weary and the reason you're weary is this, however much you do, it's not enough. However much you do, it's not enough. It's not enough for you to feel like a good person. It's not enough for you to win other people's approval. Whatever you do, it's not enough for you to be right with God. Maybe you're busy trying to prove yourself through your work. Or maybe you're trying to be the perfect mum. 
But however much you do, it's not enough. Look at verses 11 to 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See that in verse 11? Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Day after day, again and again. I wonder if that describes you. You overwork day after day, again and again. You push yourself day after day, again and again. You're trying to please others day after day, again and again, and so you are worn out. But verse 12 says, this priest, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. For all time. Never has to be repeated. One sacrifice, there's no need for a second or a third or a fourth sacrifice. There's no need for you to sacrifice. And he sat down. He doesn't have to be on his feet because his work is done. And maybe it's time for some of you to sit down. Take the load off your feet. Verse 14 says, He has made us perfect forever. Yes, we work hard to serve God. In fact, in Hebrews 13, the writer goes on and talks about the sacrifice of our lives and of our lips that we make. But if you're chasing success or love or approval or forgiveness or self-esteem, you will always be running and you will always be weary. And if I'm talking to you, then God is saying, stop, because atonement is made. Second, I wonder if there's a group of people who are haunted by their past. About uh, 30 years ago, when I was a teenager... I have a very strong memory of a time when I was visiting a friend's house and he had some chocolate on his uh, chest of drawers in his uh, bedroom and I helped myself to a piece of his chocolate. And then somehow he found out. And so he said to me in a very kind of sarcastic voice, why don't you help yourself to my chocolate? And I was exposed, I was caught, you know, I was found out. And for some reason that has eluded me ever since. I thought the best thing to do in this situation was just to kind of, um, you know, just do bravado and just sort of, I don't know, try and, I don't know, push it, you know, kind of. So what I did was I said, okay, and I took a second piece of chocolate. And uh, you wouldn't believe it, but I think about that moment. I... really it's more than 30 years on now I still think about that time I mean umpteen times every year it just you know something triggers it in my head and I think about and every time I have this sort of deep sense of shame at being such an idiot you know so I don't know over the years that must add up to hundreds of times when I look back on that event with this sort of oh I mean it's just makes me cringe just to think about it. And that is the regret 
that I'm willing to tell you about. I wonder whether your past haunts you. Something like that. Some deep guilt that you can't erase. Some deep shame that you can't shake off. Listen to the Holy Spirit in verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And my version has, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. God says, verse 18, verse 17, I will remember no more. A friend of mine was telling me a couple of weeks ago about an occasion when he uh, lent, his friend, lent a friend of his 200 pounds and he said it just sort of twisted their relationship. So he, just, he, he couldn't forget it. Whenever he saw this friend, he just thought, that's the person who owes me 200 pounds and he's not paid me back. And the, the friend, you know, the friend couldn't, Obviously, you know, he couldn't sort of forget it either. Every time he said, oh no, I owe, I owe Ben that money, you know. And, and it just sort of, and in the end he said, it was just, I just was horrible, he said. And in the end I just decided I didn't need the money. I wish I'd given it to him in the first place. I just said to him, you can keep the money. And he said, it was just like this weight lifted from me and the relationship went back to normal. And that's what God is talking about here. That there is this debt, this, our sin has created this debt between us. And, and it just twists the relationship. It makes the relationship impossible until God forgives it, until Christ pays it. God himself in the person of his son pays the debt that we owe and then God can forget it. You know, I kind of think technically God can remember it in the sense that he, he, he's got it in mind, but... But as far as the relationship goes, it's forgotten. It's forgotten, it's forgiven. If you're a Christian feeling guilty, then your problem is this. You're better at remembering your sin than God is. Because he says, I, for, I, don't, I, won't remember, I don't remember it anymore. You're better at remembering your sin than God. If you go to God and you say, you know that thing that haunts me? You know that guilt that feels like it's crushing me? God says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember. All I remember is the sacrifice of my son. I remember his blood dripping from his hands and feet. I remember his desperate cry that I could not answer. I remember that, but I don't remember your sin. I will remember no more, he says. You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to be controlled by the past. Your past doesn't need to kind of determine your future. You can be set free by the sacrifice of Christ. Maybe your sin has messed up a relationship in your life. And it could mess up the next relationship. But it doesn't have to. You can bring your sin to the cross of Christ. Maybe your sin has meant that you've lost your job 
and it could mean that you lose another job. But it doesn't have to. You can bring your sin to the cross of Christ. Maybe your sin weighs heavily on your heart, kind of haunts you. Maybe you self-harm to, to kind of atone for it. Maybe you think of yourself as a bad person who deserves bad things. And Jesus says to you, now, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Verse 18. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. There is no more sacrifice for sin where your sins have been forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if that describes you, then Jesus is saying to you, forget, because God has forgotten. Forget your past, because God has forgotten. And then thirdly, I wonder if there are people here who feel dirty or ashamed. Maybe it's shame for what you've done. Maybe it's shame for what others have done to you. Let me tell you about Sarah. It's not her real name, though she is a real person. Sarah grew up with her mother and her stepfather. She was first abused when she was nine years old. Her teenage years were spent in and out of children's homes. Her parents would kind of put on a good show for the social workers but the abuse went on. She also had a disabled younger sister whom Sarah tried to look after, but who was also abused. When Sarah was 17, she had a baby as a result of her abuse, and so she gave him up for adoption because she feared for his safety as well. She felt a constant sense of shame. Shame for her abuse, guilt about her abused sister, guilt about her lost son. She couldn't trust people. She didn't feel she could trust herself. She feared that she might become an abuser. And the way she coped was through self-harming. She also had a very kind of strict routine and constant cleansing. Every day she would sit in the bath with one of those green scouring pads and try and scrape herself clean. Now look with me at verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The imagery here is taken from the Old Testament temple. People could only enter the temple if they were sprinkled with the blood of sacrifice, the sign of the cleansing that we need if we're going to come into God's presence because God is so pure and holy. But not only that, at the centre of the temple was this place called the area called the Most Holy Place, symbolised the presence of God and there was this thick curtain to stop anybody going into it. But at the very moment at which Jesus died, 
that curtain was torn in two so that now there is a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. Verse 20. And what is that way? It is the blood of Jesus shed for us. Verse 19. It is his body sacrificed for us. Verse 20. And so look again at verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. A couple of years ago, Sarah got to know some Christians. Before that, she had never been to church, never heard of Jesus. As they got to know her, they wept with her at the horror of what had happened to her. But they were also bold in speaking to her of hope. They took her to the Psalms to help her kind of express her experience, to talk through her emotions. Because the Psalms are sort of full of that lamenting for what people have, what, what, uh, uh, for the suffering that we experience in this world. Above all, they took her to Jesus. And she discovered a loving father in heaven who had sent his son to die for her. She discovered that through the sacrifice of Christ we can draw near to God. We can have our hearts cleansed from a guilty conscience. A few months ago she bought a flannel. You know a, a flannel? It's a sign that she no longer needs to scour or scrub herself she is cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now she can relax in a bath and wash herself with a flannel. I wonder what your equivalent is of Sarah's scouring powers. What is it that you do to atone for your guilt or to cleanse your shame? And what the Lord Jesus Christ says to us this, this evening is stop because atonement is made. Forget because Christ has forgotten, because God has forgotten. Come because you are clean. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are clean and you come. Now the way to God is open. If you're not a Christian, then I, I want to urge you to come to Jesus, to leave your old life behind you, whether that's a life that you've been living to kind of please yourself or whether you've been trying to make yourself good enough for God. Leave that way behind you. Turn to God. Pray to him. Ask him for his forgiveness. Ask him for your, his cleansing. And put your hope in the sacrifice of Jesus. There was an old hymn that we used to sing when I was growing up. And uh, sometimes we still sing it, but uh, not so much now. Uh, let, me, uh, let me read to you two or three verses from this hymn. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye weary heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to call. View him prostrate in the garden. On the ground your maker lies. On the awful tree behold him. Hear him cry before he dies. It is finished. 
sinner, will not this suffice? And that was the point I used to start crying. It was that last line. Sort of imagining Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. Sinner, will not this suffice? Will, is this not sufficient? Is this not enough? And it was that idea that anyone should look at the Son of God taking on human flesh, bleeding from his hands and feet, struggling for breath, abandoned by his Father and say, it's not sufficient. I, I still need to prove myself. I still need to atone for my guilt. I'm the one who needs to suffer for my sin. It's heartbreaking to think that someone might look at the cross and walk away because they thought it wasn't enough. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, uh, give us that full assurance of faith. Pray that today we would come to you and that we would leave behind all our attempts to uh, atone for our sin, to suffer for our sin, that we would leave behind our sense of shame and guilt and come knowing trusting that we are cleansed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice is sufficient, it will suffice, and not just now, not just today, but forever. In Jesus' name, Amen.